Hi everyone, I'm Daniel Joseph and you're on the Corner Fringe. Thank you for joining me today. I want to open up with a few thoughts uh, by the apostles in the New Testament and beginning with the Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he says that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. A statement that we should be clinging on with both hands today, knowing that's where we're at. John the Apostle in his first epistle, his little epistle in chapter 2, he says, My little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. And many Antichrist even exist now. And by this we know it is the last hour. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 13, he tells us that we're to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. Therefore, we're supposed to cast off the works of darkness. You look at all these quotes with just incredible urgency to awaken us out of our sleep, to tell us we are embarking towards the end of the age that Yeshua is at the door Jesus is at the door he is ready to come back well as I've already mentioned several times more now than ever before can we now look out our front window and then look at our Bible and said we're actually living this this is now tangible Bible prophecy can be felt the riders of the apocalypse, these four horsemen of the apocalypse, have begun to ride. And it is astonishing to, to be able to read what we read in Scripture and to be able to look at the headlines, to be able to turn on your televisions, to be able to look out your front window and go, Oh my goodness, this is really starting to happen. This is starting to unfold. It, it, it is such an incredible thought. And for some, it is very, very difficult to get their arms wrapped around. And for others, they just simply don't believe it. There are many who are still sleeping. It, I, I, and it's astonishing to me that if you're a believer today and you're sleeping, I, I don't even know how to describe that considering the days that we're living in. It's so frustrating to watch people continue to lust after the world, to go after the world, to be concerned about the things of the world. None of this stuff matters when we are literally living in Bible prophecy. Well, today, I want to continue our journey. If, in fact, what I have been proposing, that this white rider on the white horse who goes out conquering and to conquer is the spirit of Antichrist, and he is moving throughout the globe, and that he has already begun to ride, and that this rider on the red horse has begun to ride in peace is taken from the earth. If, in fact, this is a correct interpretation of Revelation 6, if, in fact, that's true on any level, then... What we should see is the third rider come forth very soon and begin to ride. Well, I, I think uh, as we go through today's information, and we are going to be looking at this rider on the, on the third horse, this black horse, I think as we go through this, I, I think for some of you skeptics, I, I think at the very least, 
you're going to be that much more compelled to look at Revelation 6 again. Because I'm telling you right now, this stuff is happening. And I get concerned about Jesus' words, Yeshua's words, and, and Matthew 24 going into 25, where he talks about the end of the age, and he talks about he comes as a thief in the night. There, you know, you think of there were five foolish virgins. They had their lamps, but they had no oil. They weren't ready for the coming. There's a lot of people that are going to be sleeping who are believers in this time that the Lord is going to come back and surprise them and they're not going to be ready. We don't want that. I don't want that. We want every believer to get ready. Now is the time to awake out of your sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. With that said, let's get into it today. And let's continue in Revelation chapter 6 verse 5. This is what we read. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse. Now look at this. He who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. The first thing we are told about this rider on the third horse who comes is that he is holding a pair of scales. Now, what do scales represent? What what is it what does a scale refer to? What is it a tool for? The answer to that is trading. A scale is used to buy and sell. So as we look at this statement that there's a black horse and he has this pair of scales in his hands, we are confronted with an economic situation. This is what we are dealing with here in Revelation 6. And this is further evidenced or supported as we get to the next verse. Look at what it goes on to say. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius it's interesting we have a little bit of context in regard to this economy and the context is this we're dealing with an economic nightmare just based upon what we're reading here and and i think most of you if you've ever read the book of revelation you're familiar a denarius is is what's being described here is a day's wage. Uh, on average, it, was, it would be considered a day's wage. But when you see that a quart of wheat is all you get for a day's wage, and three quarts of barley is all you get for an entire day's wage, um, this is screaming economic crisis. And let me put this into perspective in modern day terms. Scholars... Uh, recognize that the numbers given here, the ratios of wheat to denarius or barley to denarius, is roughly, they estimate, 12 to 16 times higher than historically, you know, you go back to ancient Rome, than the historic price. And therefore, it would look something like this. If we're going to talk about a loaf of bread today, and let's just say on the low end, a loaf of bread is roughly $3, right? Based on what we're reading here, it could, it could fluctuate anywhere from $36 to $48, almost $50 for a loaf of bread. And that's for the cheap stuff. If you're going to buy the stuff that's a little bit better for you, you're going to pay over 5 bucks, And now you're talking $60 to $80 
a loaf. That is exactly what we are dealing with here. And so what we're confronted with right off the bat is hyperinflation. We have a true economic crisis uh, that is supposed to, this black rider is going to bring. Now, if you've been paying attention lately to the news headlines and there's a, a buzz going around and I, I want to I wanna just share with you a few of these headlines. Let's look at this. The first one says, more than 40% of small businesses may close in the next six months. Now, you're talking about a serious economic crisis. Rand Paul blasts imaginary money handouts, warning of economic calamity. Something we'll get into further. Uh, Hawaii, look at this, this is an amazing headline, grapples with the Great Depression level unemployment as tourism plummets. It goes on and says this, the unemployment rate of Kahului skyrocketed, skyrocketed to 35% in April, nearly 10% higher than the national unemployment rate at the peak of the Great Depression. Now, you, you have to ponder the gravity of these numbers for a second. This is beyond anything we've experienced. CBS News hit hard by layoffs. Everyone is shocked. They're stunned. They're in awe. I mean, this is what we see starting. It's only the, the early rumblings. What we see starting to happen is shocking people. And yet I can tell you, we're not even there yet. We're not even where we're going to be very soon. This headline, the pandemic decimates economy. One in seven are now skipping meals. I wanted to share this, this particular headline with you because this comes out of Israel. This is a headline from Israel 365 where they are talking about in Israel, one in seven now are skipping meals. And why are they skipping the economy? There's an economic crisis, okay? This is very, very real. This one is astounding. 45.7 million Americans have now filed for unemployment. Now, catch this. Since the lockdowns began. Okay, so this doesn't... We're not talking about all those that were unemployment prior to the coronavirus. Prior to this, our uh, response to the coronavirus and locking down, in essence, the world. Um, this is only during the last, let's just say, last couple months. And we're talking, well, there's only 320 some million uh, currently living in America. And 45, almost 46 million have filed unemployment. Unbelievable. I mean, these, these kinds of headlines are unbelievable of what is coming because what's so scary about this is that this is just the beginning it's just the beginning look at this the coronavirus outbreak has triggered unprecedented mass layoffs and furloughs here are the major companies that have announced they are downsizing their workforces we go on in just 16 weeks nearly 50 million americans have filed for unemployment that's more than the number of claims filed during the great recession on july 9th bloomberg law reported that wells fargo is preparing to cut thousands of jobs 
out of its 263,000 person workforce. You have Walgreens said it plans to cut 4,000 jobs on July 9th after reporting a $1.7 billion loss in the third quarter. Again, I I struggle to even put that into context. while Macy's furloughed the majority of its workforce uh, in March, it announced it would lay off about 3,900 uh, corporate workers on June 25th. Then you have HSBC, Europe's biggest bank, announced plans to cut 35,000 jobs or 15% of its global workforce across the U.S. and Europe on June 17th. On June 16th, a union representing AT&T employees said the wireless carrier will lay off 3,400 and shut down more than 250 stores. Chevron, the second largest oil producer in the U.S., announced that it will cut 10 to 15% of its 45,000 global workforce on May 27th. We have Boeing said it would lay off nearly 7,000 employees on May 27th. The company initially announced that it would cut about 10% of its workforce on April 29th. The company had 143,000 workers at the beginning of this year. Now, you do the math, and this means this number is going to double. It's going to go from 7,000 to about 14,000. Moving on, IBM will eliminate several thousand jobs as of May 22nd. And of course, weeks after ride-hailing giant giant Uber announced it is cutting 3,700 jobs, 14% of its workforce. CEO Dara, not even going to try that, announced on May 18th that he will cut 3,000 additional jobs and close 45 offices. I'm going to tell you guys something. I could go on and on. This is just part of the list. We could go on and on and on. And these are the large players. These are the large corporations that build up a significant part of the backbone of our economy. This doesn't include all the small businesses. But many businesses were just struggling to hang on to begin with before the lockdowns. Those businesses are getting completely wiped out. In fact, we read one of the headlines reads this, 100,000 businesses have permanently collapsed under the pandemic. And the problem with this is is that number is growing exponentially. And at this point, there's no end in sight. There is no end in sight. And people's best hope right now is hopefully I get an employment. So I'm going to file an employment and at least I'll be able to pay this. I'll be able to pay that. I mean, that's their best hope. I'm going to tell you guys something. That is not a healthy economy. That is the Titanic going down. And I feel like we're at that moment right now where the Titanic is sinking and you're calling for the musicians to come out. Let's play a little song for everyone just to give them some, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling inside. And uh, this is where we're at. We're at this point right now. 30% of Americans did not make their housing payment in June. I know just as recent here, we are in July, that number has gone up to 32%. And it's going to continue to go up as the layoffs continue, as things get uh, crazier and crazier. Every facet of our economy is being affected right now. It goes on, it says this, Job losses remain at a catastrophic level that is like 
uh, anything that we have ever seen before in all of U.S. history. I mean, you hear this verbiage that is being thrown around in regard to the economy. This is nothing we have ever experienced. And the Great Depression, if you ever studied that, that was intense. That was nasty. It lasted well in a decade that uh, America went through an economic, a serious economic correction. Uh, what we're already looking at, and we're not even feeling it yet. I mean, truly not feeling it yet, dwarfs what happened in the Great Depression. And when we get there, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to turn some people's worlds completely upside down. Researcher says coronavirus lockdowns cost U.S. economy $1 trillion without saving many lives. And you have to understand, this is what is driving people literally mad to the point they're looking at this. This is insane. Why are we locking down the, the, the entire country, if not most of the world? Why are we locking this down? It's not saving the lives that we're saying it's supposed to save. I mean, this is the crazy madness that is coming in on this. Let me, let me share this with you. The worldwide lockdown, likely the greatest mistake in history. I love this. This is an article by uh, Dennis Prager. And, and I was going to share just a quote out of it. The forcible prevention of Americans from doing anything except what politicians deem essential has led to the worst economy in American history since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Now, there's a reason I've brought it all this direction. Why I'm sharing these headlines with you because... It is important that you see that this rider on the third horse, as I've already mentioned, that is going to come and, and he brings an economic crisis, an economic collapse, may I say. This horse is tied directly to the first horse. In other words, this one going out, the rider on the white horse going forth, conquering and to conquer is significant because the following horses ride in tandem to it. One is the effect of the other. And here we are with this third horse, with this economy, and it's literally pointing back to the coronavirus. This is the reason. This is what many economists are blaming um, this crisis for, this economic crisis that we're beginning to see unfold is 100% the event uh, or the response of the coronavirus. And so very, very important in looking at this bird's eye view of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, at looking at Bible prophecy and how this is unfolding, as we can just read this stuff in the news, it is really an incredible thing, uh, honestly. Medical expert, told you so about lockdowns being a mistake. A Stanford epidemiologist declared back in March it was a mistake to implement mass long-term lockdowns against COVID-19, warning of unintended social harms. Now, Dr. John uh, Ioannidis uh, says it provides him no satisfaction to see that borne out. And then he goes on. In an article in March for STAT, he wrote, We don't know how long social distancing measures and lockdowns can be maintained without major consequences to the economy, society, and mental health. Unpredictable evolutions may ensue, including financial crisis, unrest, civil strife, war, 
and a meltdown of the social fabric. Over the weekend, in an interview with The Greek Reporter, he noted unemployment numbers matched only by the Great Depression, business closures from small to large, drug abuse and suicide spikes and social unrest. I feel extremely sad that my predictions were verified, Ionita said. You can feel his frustration. This epidemiologist looking that this is the whole thing is insane. It's unprecedented. Why are we responding in the manner that we are responding right now? I don't need to have an MBA to understand that you want to lock down the country. You're going to absolutely destroy it from the inside and out. And all over a virus that has a 99% success rate of survival that has well-known drugs like hydroxychloroquine that have proved to be successful in treating said virus. And you're going to tell me you're going to literally destroy the fabric of our economy and, and literally affect the world because you want to lock it down over, over this I mean, there, there are so many scientists right now, medical doctors that are absolutely beside themselves pulling out their hair. They want to scream. They think everybody's lost their ever-loving minds. And I got to tell you, if, if I was not a man of faith and I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, I don't know how I would be handling this right now, but I, I can tell you this, it wouldn't be good. Um, I am so thankful that I have the gospel. I am so blessed to have that privilege of having hope in Yeshua, Jesus. That's where we get our sanity because I'm going to tell you everything that we see happening in the world right now, especially due to these lockdowns and all the craziness that has ensued. Without the gospel, I pity the unbeliever because without the gospel, um, People do, would I, I can see people doing some wild and crazy things. I mean, it's not surprising to me that the suicide rates are up. The whole thing is insane unless you go back to Bible prophecy. Unless you start listening to the words of Yeshua. As you start seeing what he warned us of and, and, and what John, what was given to John, uh, the revelator. Uh, in Revelation chapter 6. Oh, then it makes perfect sense. And it's having this clarity that gives strength. That's what the gospel does. The gospel delivers truth. And so, uh, you know, just letting you know, man, I am thankful to be a believer right now uh, in the midst of all this insanity because there's only one way to describe what they're doing at least in the physical realm. It's pure idiocy how we are responding. Pure idiocy. It's so ridiculous. It's like three-year-olds making decisions. But when I go to Bible prophecy, oh man, all of it makes sense. And there's perfect clarity. And so thank you, Lord, for that clarity. Now, Getting back, looking at this again and looking at a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Yes, this is talking about the fact that hyperinflation is 
on the way. And I can tell you, it is coming in this country. There's no question we are going to experience it. You can't pass trillion-dollar stimulus packages. And yes, I didn't say billion. That would be ridiculous enough. I'm talking trillion-dollar stimulus packages. And think you're going to walk away from that unscathed. And think that uh, your society economically is not going to be affected. Uh, it's going to be traumatized. Let me share with you a quote, interestingly enough, especially coming off of the last few weeks, uh, talking about communism and the New World Order and how the enemy, the devil, is utilizing uh, this, this ideology to really formulate this, this one-world government. Um, let me share with you uh, this because you can see this is all working together. But Vladimir Lenin, remember the leader of the Bolshevik Revolution, this raging communist, uh, he's quoted as saying the following, the surest way to overthrow an existing social order is to debauch the currency. This is the real reason why our uh, presses are printing ruble bills day and night without rest. Now, if you go back to the early 1900s, you'll, you study Russia history, and you'll realize what did they do to the ruble? They debauched it. The Bolsheviks wanted to overthrow the government. And so you just start printing rubles. This is how you deal with uh, whatever you're dealing with at the time. You just print, 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 print. And they weren't printing to help the situation. They were printing money to destroy this current social order that was in place at the time. And we know that the Tsarist regime was, was in place at the time. But... What is happening right now? I share this with you so that you can see. What is literally happening right now? This. This is happening. We're passing trillion-dollar stimulus packages. You know, and again, don't get me wrong. I, mean, I, I don't believe the Republican Party is a party of faith or the Republican Party as a whole really. Uh, all these Republicans are, their biggest concern is about having conservative ideology because clearly that has been shown that is not the case. We have many Republicans that have shown us just the opposite. But I will say this. Jump to the left for a moment, to the Democratic side, and they want to spend money like drunken sailors. They want to print money like there is nobody's business. It's unbelievable. I deliberated about whether or not to share with you some of the proposals that are coming from the left. They're so insane. I, I mean, beyond insane. Uh, from Ocasio-Cortez to Rashida Tlaib, to some, the, their proposals are so... <laughs> I can't even describe how insane they are. I, I, I just can't. But this is the... What people don't understand is, is they come out and they want to pitch, oh, we would just want to support this society. We want to support all the Americans. Oh, because we love them so much. This is our big concern. No, you want to do what Lenin did. You, you want to destroy a country by debauching its currency, by totally destroying its currency, which is, we're well on our way. Getting back to our passage, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. You, you'll, you'll notice, and there are several passages I could take you to, but one good example is you go back to the Torah in Leviticus 26, 26, and what you'll see there 
is these are the curses of God being listed out. When you're going to come under judgment, what happens is you will eat bread by weight. Well, and this is exactly what we see being described here. They're eating bread, in a sense, these grains, by weight. And this is what's described in the Torah. And it's described in the context of a curse. These are curses coming upon the earth. And it's these things, like when you go through Leviticus 26, you go through its counterpart, Deuteronomy 28. These things are supposed to wake you up. These things are supposed to jar you and bring you to a place of repentance. And you know, for us believers, and I'm talking to believers specifically right now, we have probably the greatest time in history to spread the gospel than we've had at any time because of how real the Bible is with all these things that are happening. It is speaking louder today than ever before. And we can take them to passages within the Torah, whether Deuteronomy 28 or Leviticus 26, 26, and show them these things that are coming upon the earth. These things are, God is calling. This is a call for mercy and repentance. God's mercy is the call of repentance. And yes, these things hurt, but in the end, there's redemption. And so I just, when we, as we look at this, and I might get into this deeper next week. I haven't decided yet, but really getting into the reality of the judgment of the world. And really as God's pouring out his judgment and giving all these wake up calls, um, this is significant. And, and this is how God operates. And so it's hard for some people to wrap their mind around the fact that when God brings his judgment, oftentimes he will bring in the most vile of the vile to perform that judgment. And Israel has history in this, where you look at literally men who are identified as Antichrist, uh, moving in the spirit of Antichrist, that hated scripture, that hated God, that was vile, that worshiped demons, all of these things. This is who would come in at that moment. And so, I mean, as, as we get into this, we, we have these two things happening. You have God accomplishing his word, accomplishing his judgment, but then you also have this radical move of the Antichrist coming in. And I've mentioned this before, but, you know, this is how the crucifixion went down. God used who? He used a traitor. He used Judas Iscariot, where Satan entered him, and Satan carried out this crucifixion of betrayal. This is, this is what happened. And yet, in the whole midst of it, God's plan is being executed. Uh, absolutely incredible. Well, there's something here that I, I want to mention in regard to wheat and barley. And I've, I've highlighted these specifically. These, uh, let's get into the historical context for a moment. In the, the, the historical context is wheat and barley were really the two fundamental pillars of the food supply during the day. And barley was the bread or the grain of the poor. Wheat was the grain of the rich. So if you were well-to-do, uh, you would be that individual that ate wheat. If you were not, you would, your diet would consist of barley etc. Now, the reason I point this out, because this alludes to the fact that when you see uh, that both the wheat and the barley are being affected, 
and they're both mentioned and they're both known in its historical context to one to be attributed to to the well-to-do and the other to the poor that prophetically is very significant telling us that this economic crisis this calamity that is going to come upon the earth is going to affect and i can hear david wilkerson in my ear it's going to affect virtually every wage earner in the world the successful as well as you know the destitute no one's going to escape this and 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 i mentioned david wilkerson because in 1973 he had this vision where what he saw was an economic collapse that was coming and in this economic collapse uh he he mentions the fact that no one is going to be unscathed in this whole event but then in addition to that he mentions something fascinating that there are going to be there's going to be famine and he saw this in his vision now we can go to scripture and clearly read this right there'll be famines in various places we know this um but wilkerson saw this and it was tied in this vision if you will to what he saw with the economy happening that the economy would be totally falling apart it would go into a crisis mode and then in addition to that there would be famines and uh food shortages etc well the reason that fascinates me is because of this right here because this passage isn't just simply talking about an economic crisis the passage is talking about an economic crisis in conjunction with food shortages uh famines uh and if you've been paying attention to the recent headlines uh you would see how applicable this really is look at this headline tyson foods issues dire warning in full page new york times ad as lockdowns threaten uh u.s food supply and we read tyson foods rolled out a full page advertisement sunday in the washington post and the new york times warning that the country's food supply chain is breaking amid continued lockdowns aimed at slowing down uh the coronavirus pandemic again more good news i i, I say that facetiously uh of news coming out of these lockdowns you see all these wonderful things that the lockdowns are producing um we're seeing headlines we've never seen before uh, like this one uh, or how about this one uh, Prager one of the thousands of unpaid garment workers protesting the lockdown in Bangladesh understands the situation better than almost any health official in the world we are starving if we don't have food in our stomach what's the use of observing this lockdown you know it's one of those times where you say don't confuse me with the facts Bangladeshi you know the government uh, but concern for that Bangladeshi worker among the world's elites seems non-existent. According to the World Food Program director David Beasley, on April 21st, we could be looking at famine. Look at this. At famine in about three dozen countries. There is also a real danger that more people could potentially die from the economic impact of COVID-19 than the virus itself. No kidding. The lockdown is possibly even more catastrophic than the virus in its outcome. The collapse of global food supply systems and widespread, uh, widespread human 
starvation. We continue. Rotting food, hungry masses, chaotic supply chains, coronavirus, UPENS, the U.S. food system. Again, this is all going back to our response of the coronavirus. I'm telling you, this is the white horse that went out conquering and to conquer. It's absolutely insane. People are dumbfounded by what is happening. Now listen to, listen to what this says. In less time than it takes a farmer to plant and harvest a head of lettuce, the nation's entire food industry has been flipped on its head by the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, an intricate system for matching supply with demand established over decades has been thrown out of whack just as unemployment and food insecurity are skyrocketing among families. I want to play a short clip for you just to give you a little more perspective at how serious uh, our situation really is becoming. This is the clip. Many disturbing pictures that we've become accustomed to seeing since the pandemic started are those of people seeking help feeding their families. The lines at food banks have been shocking. The numbers are too. In April, more than one in five U.S. households reported not having sufficient resources to buy food. That number increased to two in five households, 41% for mothers with children 12 and under. We go now to Dallas and Claire Babineau-Fontenot. She is the CEO of Feeding America, the nation's largest hunger relief organization. Good morning to you. Good morning. We've heard the statistics in terms of who is most vulnerable and how hard they are getting hit. We also know that food prices had their biggest spike uh, in decades just last month. This seems like the perfect storm. Uh, what are you seeing at your facilities right now? Who is coming and what do they need? Well, Margaret, I think you used the right term. It is, in fact, the perfect storm. We're seeing a marked increase in demand um, to the tune of, on average, 60% more people showing up in need of our services. Um, and at the, at the time that we're having that increase in demand, we have a decrease in donations, we have an increase in cost of food, and we have a decrease in volunteers. So it is, in fact, a perfect storm. How so are many of the people who are coming... Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, please no, please. So how are you managing that? And, and, and is, is the person that you are serving now, as challenging as it is, different from what you saw just a few months ago? Is it a different demographic? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, that 40% on average of the people that we're seeing now um, have never relied upon the charitable food system before now. So we're definitely seeing different people showing up. So many of the people who are there, they're kind of familiar to us. Some of the people who were donors are now in line in need of our services. So there's been a change uh, to be sure. Uh, Did you hear that? She's talking about a 60% increase of need. And yet donations are dropping off. Volunteers are dropping off. Costs are increasing. And then the kicker is that some of the people that were donating are now the ones that are coming and asking for food and that those are the ones that are in need. A perfect storm indeed. I mean, this is, this is real. I, I, I mean, it's kind of shocking that this is not covering the airwaves everywhere. 
where people are not recognizing this. Uh, it's frightening because it's coming. What I'm telling you is that these four horsemen of the apocalypse, they are riding. The white horse has come forth. The red horse has come forth. And this horse, we already see uh, it's, in, it's being introduced as we speak. And this is made clear by just going through the headlines that we're seeing. This stuff is coming. We're not there quite yet, but it's about to make its full appearance. And when it does, things are going to get serious. They are going to get real. It's going to turn the lockdowns into a living hell to move from lockdowns to complete food shortages and a total economic collapse. And who's to say what happens in an economic collapse? Is the government going to still continue to pay out Social Security? Is it going to continue to pay unemployment? Are company, companies and corporations going to continue to uh, pay pensions and so on? For I mean, we could go down that, obviously, for quite some time of the what ifs, the what ifs, what's going to happen. But you'll you look at history and you look at when you come into a calamity of this magnitude, which is even going to dwarf the greatest calamity we've ever had in this country. Um, it will affect every single person virtually in this nation uh, in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, I'm, I am now getting people asking me, Daniel, should I get food? You know, I've had people come up and say, Daniel, should I get food? And of course I say, absolutely. Absolutely. And But my thing is, is this. I, we're to trust in the Lord. I, we're not to trust in our bug out bags, our storage, uh, going to dig a hole in the middle of a farm field and say, we're going to hide and we're, as though we're going to escape what's coming. It ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen. But to be able to get food, and, and I think of it this way, and to be able to always give food out to somebody else and to have that, that's good form. I think that's good wisdom. Uh, to have that food on hand, I, don't tr I wouldn't trust in it. I trust in the Lord. Uh, because I can tell you right now, historically speaking, um, there have been people uh, that had experienced the rise of communism. And do you know what they did? And we can go to Russia and I can take you to China and show you historically that the people that tried to store up food in the time of famine, and granted, you know, Russia had multiple man-made famines. Um, whether you're in China or whether you're in Russia, uh, the penalty for that was unreal. It was torture, imprisonment. Some people would be killed, uh, ears lopped off, and I'm not making this stuff up. Um, because they want to control every aspect of the food supply. And they want to shame anyone that is going to be able to be independent from the state. So and I don't say that to scare anyone. I don't say that to anything. I merely say the only way you're getting through what's coming, what I know is on its way, is by your faith. It's through the gospel of Yeshua, Jesus. It's by calling on his name, trusting in him wholeheartedly, praying to him and letting him take care of the rest. Now, having said that, yeah, I do think it's wise 
as of right now, store up food for others that will be in need. Because even, let's just pretend for a moment, there isn't going to be a food shortage. That food isn't going to be hard to come by. Let's just throw that aside. If you're in a time of economic crisis, there's going to be many people that can't afford it. It's good form to be able to support them and to be able to give food to those who are in need, if in fact you yourself aren't in need. Uh, I would also say everyone should have a little bit of extra food and water for any emergency. That's wisdom. I mean, here we're people, we pay for insurance because we drive cars, we pay for insurance on our houses. Some people pay insurance for their cell phones because they're so outrageously expensive today. Because that makes sense. Well, this is insurance. You know, having a little extra food and water uh, is insurance. Uh, attempting to trust in that, well, that's, that's a different thing. Now, we have a little bit more to cover here, and I just want to finish this out. One more statement to add on to this, and it is, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And so, now this statement has been debated for quite some time uh, as to what does this really mean. There's all sorts of different thoughts on what this means. But I, I really think the best resolve here in understanding this is uh, to go back in history, to go back to the first century, because something interesting happened in 92 AD. During that time, Emperor, uh, uh, the Emperor of Rome was Domitian. And Domitian uh, gave an edict, was what we call the Vine Edict today. And in this edict, what he said was, because there was such a horrible famine, because of the famine, he gave the edict to literally raise or uproot half of the vineyards throughout the provinces and so that they could do away with the vineyards and plant corn. I mean, this, this was the plan. But what's interesting is in that situation, the people did not comply there was, they were so infuriated of the decision to do that, they would not comply to that. And so there was a total rebellion on it and never really, um, it never really happened uh, because there was such an insurrection against this edict. It's that kind of situation that I believe, and we'll know when it comes to pass, ultimately, but I think that gives us a great template to work off of that. Despite being in a famine situation, there are going to be aspects that are going to be protected. The vineyards and uh, the oil is going to be protected. And so that's uh, uh, with that, I, I think that is we're going to end here for today.